James uh, chapter 1. But let's stand and ask for God's blessing upon us, and then I'll read verse 27. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, we come to You as Your children seeking wisdom. Lord, we seek understanding and we seek complete uh, completion of, of character and maturity of life. Lord, as we put our minds and our hearts and our hands to the study of this, this epistle of James, Lord, give us light, the light of Your Word. Let that light pierce our hearts, our souls. Let us be the wise person that looks into the mirror of the law of liberty. And Lord, let us not forget what we see. But Lord, give us the grace and the strength and the boldness and the courage to make the changes we need to make. Lord, that we might have that blessed grace of maturity. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 27 of chapter 1, James writes this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. We have finally made it to the book of James. Many of you have uh, given personal testimony that this book is either your favorite book, uh, one of your favorite books, or the favorite book that you have, and we're finally here. And it's going to be a joy to walk together uh, through these chapters and verses in order that we might seek God's face and wisdom and compare ourselves to this epistle, to this Word, and find those areas of our lives that need confronting and changing, um, sanding, if you will, filing down those rough edges so that we might have our lives, um, practices, and relationships, and families, and a church body that is uh, eager, I think, and sensitive to the glory of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope uh, by reading Psalm 15 to, to set this uh, epistle up, you can see the relationship. You can see how Psalm 15 is the description of a person who walks in integrity and then goes on to describe what that integrity is. That's a person that seeks truth in his heart, her heart, speaks truth. To speak truth in one's heart is to tell oneself that God's Word is true and that they need to believe it and trust in it. It's a trustworthy Word. It's someone who, who uses their tongues to bless and not to curse. Jane deals with both. James chapter 1, James tells us that we should not deceive ourselves. Well, how, what, what does it mean to deceive oneself? It means that when one hears or reads the Scriptures and they are confronted with it, and if they go away and don't make the changes that the Scriptures speak of, then they have deceived themselves. How so? 
Well, they've just acted as if they are not in need of correction when they really are. So they have deceived themselves. And of course, that deception can only lead to the fruit of destruction. It's like having a disease and ignoring the doctor's prognosis and rejecting the treatment that can cure it. And that's what James addresses, if you will, you want to make the analogy, James brings to us these spiritual diseases. We're going to look at some of those in a minute. He brings to us these spiritual blights, these blemishes, these scabs, warts, if you will, wounds. And then he tells us how to fix them. And if we are to be wise Christians, what will we do? We will make the corrections. We will seek the remedy James offers us. We will seek to follow the protocol that he prescribes in bringing uh, healing to those areas where we are spiritually uh, defective or infected. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning I only want to address a few areas of the book. I'm not going to go in and deal with all of the various nuances of the book. I'm not, I'm not going to go in and give you a lot of facts about the book. I'm not going to discuss James as the author. I'm going to do that as we go along verse by verse in the book. This morning, what I want to do is to incite or excite you to the study and the reading of the book. I want to give you at least four, maybe more, uh, reasons why we should be very excited to be in this book and what this book can offer us as Christians. You know, the American way, right, is to... Sort of, you know, um, uh, if you're going to get anybody to participate in anything in, a, in America, what do you have to do? You have to show them the value of it, right? You have to kind of help them understand the value of doing what you're trying to propose for them to do. And, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you the value of the book. You know, I, I know we probably struggle with um, we place such an emphasis in this body on the study of Scripture. We have a high view of God's Word. We have a, a high view of, of doctrine, theology. But we also have a high view of practice, a high view of implementing that theology and doctrine. And I know that it can become, it can be a temptation to come to church and to hear these things over and over and over and not see that repetition as a grace, but more as something to lull us to spiritual sleep. Well, Pastor Stanfield says that every Sunday. Pastor Stanfield has said this, I mean, you, you may go to sleep and you hear my voice saying these things over and over and over. Well, listen, listen, brothers and sisters. There's only one glorious message in Scripture that's said over and over and over and over. 
And it said in different circumstances and situations, it said by different prophets and teachers and apostles, but it's the same message that God must be glorified and that we must love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and that we must learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the fulfillment, Paul says, of God's law. So brothers and sisters, repetition is a grace. Imagine what it would be like, parents, if we only told our children one time to do something. Where would we be as families? It'd be chaos. It would just be a madhouse. Nothing would get accomplished. Because not only do the stubborn, we know, you know, stubborn people need to be told many times. But you guess what? Good people need to be told many times. Good people need to hear the same truths over and over and over. Now listen to me. So what is your role as you hear so many of these things that you've heard over the years in this church body? Your role is to sit there, receive it in prayer, thank God for it. And you know what? Listen, you need to be in prayer when you're listening to the sermon. You need to be praying these things. You need to be praying, Lord, give me a soft heart. Lord, let me hear this truth in a new way. Lord, bless my dear brother up there as he teaches me the Word of God. Help me receive it with joy and thanksgiving. Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to a heart and a desire for it. See, you need to be saying that over and over and over and over. Lord, give me a tenderness for the truth. Lord, don't let me be like the man James describes, the unwise man, the fool, who walks away and is deceived, thinking they're okay when they're really not. You see, brothers and sisters, when we come into the presence of God to worship Him, none of it's inactivity. There's no passivity in the worship of God. I'm engaged preaching not only to you. Guess what? I'm preaching to myself. I live by the very same word I preach to you. I'm brought under the same conviction you're brought under. I'm brought under the same rule and spirit and law that you're brought under. And I must even be praying as I preach, Lord, help me save myself with this word that I'm preaching to save others. That's what Paul told Timothy. Make sure you listen to the things you preach to. Listen to the things you preach so that you save yourself as well as others. So there's no passivity here. There's no inactivity. All of us are to come meekly and humbly under the banner of the word of truth Brothers and sisters, that we might pray, Oh Lord, make me more like Christ. Make me more like Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let me begin to give you these reasons, if you will, to study the book of James. The first reason that I want to give you this morning on studying or reading and um, putting our hands to the preaching of this book is because of the theme of the book itself. 
And the theme is found in the verse that I read to you out of chapter 1. The theme of the book of James, as verse 27 calls it, is pure and undefiled religion. Pure and undefiled religion. James, because it is a piece of wisdom literature, it is the goal of James to describe in a general way what pure and undefiled religion is. What it looks like in certain situations and circumstances. He's going to give us those things. He's going to help us understand what pure and undefiled religion looks like when a Christian faces trials. He's going to show us what this true undefiled religion looks like when we face temptations. When we are tempted to question the goodness of God. He's going to show how faith works with and enhances and proves and exhibits a true and undefiled religion. See, some commentators will say that the book of James is a book of faith. And faith is certainly an important aspect of the book. But it's not primary. James teaches us about faith because he wants us to understand what true undefiled religion is and how true faith is nothing more than an exhibit of and an evidence of this pure undefiled religion working in us. What is pure and an undefiled religion? That's a good question. Now, he goes on to give us an answer, but before we look at this answer, let's support it a little bit. In James's mind, because of the emphasis James places upon the teaching of the Old Testament, and particularly the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, James wants us to understand that a pure, undefiled religion is a religion that's not contaminated by human invention, human novelty. What do I mean by human invention? Well, I mean in all the ways that, that men and people and, and every, you know, seek to make up their own religion. Their own path to God, if you will. Or their own path to integrity and righteousness. Where they seek to be religious or spiritual, but never believers in the true and living God. It's human invention. This world is filled up, brothers and sisters, with religion. Religion. Everyone's religious. Everyone has some set of rules that they abide by that they believe are the rules to keep. Well, I would never do that. I mean, atheists admit this. Even though they may confess social conventions are the... the um, 
the originator of these convictions, nevertheless, they have a standard and set of rules that govern their integrity and their righteousness and their morality. It is a religion. It's called humanism. It's called humanism. Because humans dictate what we will believe and hold to. And that can change and morph depending on the culture and the generation. What's accepted today was not accepted a hundred years ago. There were practices a hundred years ago that we ought not practice today. Even by the church. And I'm sure... Well, James has in mind the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some of those in a minute. But listen to me. James extensively quotes out of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that's one thing the scholars, that most all reputable scholars hold to is James focuses upon the teachings of Jesus. And if you think about it, it's James giving application to the teaching of Jesus. It's James saying, here's the principle and here's what it looks like for you now in this situation. Which is a great blessing for us because it takes a lot of thinking away for us. It, it helps us understand, oh, that's, that's what that looks like. Okay, I get that. That's easy because a lot of us, how many of us really like being told, you know, do this? It's easier, right? I don't have to think about it. Tell me what to do. You know, I mean, usually when I, when, um, as a carpenter, when I bring some of my friends in to help me do carpentry work, and they're all skilled and very talented men, they don't just walk in the house and pick up tools and start working. You know what they do? They walk over to me and they say, what do you want us to do? And then we give instructions. You know, not how to do it, but what to do. Isn't that important? It's not that they don't know what to do or how to do it. It's just that they are submitting themselves to the one who is over the job. And that's wise. That's a, an application of wisdom and understanding of, of the circumstance and situation. Brothers and sisters, listen, James is concerned that we do not contaminate the, the, the righteousness and the religion revealed to us in, the, in God's Word with human invention, novelty, sinfulness, taking and, and justifying one sinful action by some portion of God's Word, reinterpreting it. James wants a pure and undefiled religion. And if you look at the verse, notice what he says. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He mentions two things. Orphans and widows. I'm only going to make a comment. Brothers and sisters, there is one thing clear 
clear in the Old and New Testaments, and that is God is the defender of the defenseless. He has great compassion on the poor and helpless. And these are two groups, these are two classifications of people that are the most helpless. Widows, women who have lost their husbands, and children who have lost their parents. James says pure and undefiled religion is being godlike, where God has given testimony that he is their defender, that he is their salvation, that he, and I mean in a very temporal sense, that he is going to come to their aid. He is concerned about them. When you abuse them, you abuse me. You touch me. James says, be like God. That's what he's saying. Be like God. Be compassionate. Sensitive. Be aware of who's in need. Now let me say this, because this is where wisdom comes in. Pure and undefiled religion, brothers, is the application must be applied with wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is, is taking the Word of God and it's, it's discerning between this and that. It's discernment. It's what it is. It's making judgments. Wisdom is the practice of making judgments. This is good. This is not. I love what Spurgeon said because I think Spurgeon hit the nail on the head. He said, you know, really and truly in the Christian life, it's like, okay, this is good and this is good-ish. This is right and this is right-ish. What he's saying is, it looks so good. It looks so true, but it's not. And what, hey, what principle must we use to discern between the two? Wisdom. Wisdom. Where do we get this wisdom? James says in chapter 1, from above. From above. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally to all who ask in faith. But, all right, so James is clear. Where are you going to get this wisdom? You're going to ask God for it. But if you ask God for it, do not doubt God. Because the one who doubts, James calls them double-minded. For the one who doubts will receive nothing. Why? That's harsh, isn't it? I mean, that's the way our sensitive millennials would respond to it, right? Well, that's, that's mean, now, now listen to me. God, God will not be mocked and made fun of. The whole testimony of Scripture is to God's goodness. And who are you and who am I to challenge that goodness? If God says ask for it and He'll give it, ask for it and believe He'll give it. Because when you ask in a doubting fashion, you're calling God a liar. And this is what James is saying. And you say, well, no, no, pastor, I would never do that. You, you're being foolish. See, that's where James is so 
rigid. James is not going to hear that. James is not going to let you wiggle out of that. James is going to say, he who doubts receives nothing. Well, wait a minute. I'm a weak man. I have feet of clay. I'm a sinner. Didn't even the apostles say, Lord, help us in our unbelief. You're not going to get anything. James ain't going to change his mind. Because he wants you to train yourself and to discipline yourself in true religion to do what? Go to the Lord in prayer and faith and believe with conviction that what he tells you to ask for, he'll give it to you. The theme of the book, brothers and sisters, is pure religion. And I'm telling you, you and I are surrounded by false religion. We are surrounded by innovative religion. We are surrounded by all different versions and flavors of Christianity. And it takes wisdom to discern between all that. And James is going to help us with it. Number two. Number two. A reason to study this book and to give ourselves over to its study and the learning of it is because if we, if we can gain a solid grasp upon the book of James, we will have a solid grasp on the teachings of Jesus. Because he quotes uh, Jesus' teaching extensively. If we, if, we're going, if we can gain a solid grasp on the teaching of this book, the book of James, then we're going to have a firm grasp on the teachings of Christ. Now let me say this. Some people in the past, in the history of, of the church, um, has had some, some um, concerns that the book of James really doesn't honor Jesus like the, the other apostles or the other epistles because the, the lack of how many times James mentions the Lord Jesus. But I agree with one commentator that James doesn't need, James doesn't see a need to repeat the name of the Lord Jesus over and over and over if he is citing his teaching. For James, he understands the relationship of disciple and teacher. For James, what, is the, what role does the disciple take in honoring his teacher? What path, what role, what can a disciple do if the disciple truly wants to bring honor to his teacher? What does he do? What does he do? Tell me. He obeys him. He honors, his, he honors the teacher by honoring the teaching. Listening to what he teaches. Hearing what he says, being able to articulate it, being able to speak about it, being able to, to um, use the teaching of the master, of the teacher in everyday life. That's how a disciple brings honor to his teacher. And that's what James is doing James helps us understand that this pure and undefiled religion is the disciple coming under the teaching of the teacher, the teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. That if 
one is not submitted to the teaching of Christ, then they don't have true and undefiled religion. James helps us with the disciple-teacher analogy here. For James, true religion is truth. Truth. Give me truth. Tell me the truth. Help me see the truth. Help me understand the truth. But don't lie to me. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't minimize it. Don't maximize it. But give me the truth. This is what James's mentality is. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures. And I'm only going to give you a few, but there are dozens more. Look at James 1.5. James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Turn to Matthew 7.7. 7. Matthew 7.7. 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You you see, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You can see James doing nothing but articulating what Jesus had already taught us when he is helping us understand how to ask for wisdom. Why should we ask for wisdom? Because Jesus had already taught us. Seek and you'll find it. Ask me and I'll give it. Knock on the door. These are the descriptions of the same thing that Jesus is saying. Whether it's ask, whether it's knock, or whether it's seek, the point is, is do what? Ask of me and I'll give it to you. James goes on later in the book, in the epistle, chapter 3, and he tells us, you have not because you... Ask not. See, another application of prayer. This is James helping us to pray. Know what to pray for. Many times when we are you know, seeking God's face, we need to ask for wisdom, don't we? Because we need to understand from James' perspective, we lack it. We don't have it. We don't, it doesn't originate with us. Because there is also... uh, demonic wisdom and earthly wisdom that he talks about later in the epistle. And then there's heavenly wisdom from above. They're two different things. And he helps us to discern when we look at that, it's that what? The fruit of those things. What's the fruit of heavenly wisdom? And what is the fruit of demonic and earthly wisdom? How do you know which one do you have? Look at the fruit. Because heavenly wisdom does not produce the unrighteousness. does not produce unrighteousness. It doesn't justify sin. It doesn't justify sinful actions. That's how we know whether or not it's from God or whether it's from this world, this earthly, this worldly stuff. Look at James 2.5. Just kind of hold your fingers in Matthew and in James, and you'll be fine. James 2.5, listen, my brethren, do not... Uh, James 2.5, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He promised to those who love Him? Now look at Luke 
chapter 20, or Luke 6, 20. And of course, this is Luke's sermon record of the Sermon on the Mount. And turning his gaze, that is Jesus turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began saying, Blessed are you, or blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You see, right there, James is nothing more than articulating. Who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Why should the poor not be jealous? Why is it wrong for the poor to be jealous over the rich? Because they are rich in God. They are rich in Christ. They are rich in the kingdom of heaven. Turn back to James. I want to to show you something here. Turn back to James chapter 1. Go look look at verse nine. We're going to talk here. Here James deals with the the poor and rich man, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. That's the poor man. What is his high position? His humble circumstances is his poverty, economic poverty. His high circumstances is his belief in God. He's a child of God. Okay, verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. What's the rich man to glory in? He's very much like the poor man. He's here today and gone tomorrow. He's done glory in his riches. He glories in that he is like every other man who is only here but a moment. And that will help shape and define his riches. Not his riches defining him. Oh, he's a rich man. You see how we talk? I mean, you notice how we describe people? They're rich, they're poor. James is dealing with all of that. Now let's keep reading. Now notice verse 11. Verse 11 is the equal ground. But now this is wisdom, brothers and sisters. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Why does the rich man not glory in his accomplishments, in his gain? Because he knows every bit of it can change tomorrow. Every bit of it can change tomorrow. And then he's left with what? Who he is. Who am I? They are not. Listen, young people, wisdom. Don't let gain and materialism define you. Don't be defined by your beauty. That's given to you by God. And all of y'all are beautiful. Don't be defined by what you have or what you want. Be defined in this. I'm a child of God. And in Him, in Christ, I am rich above measure. Wisdom says that. Only the fool pursues that which perishes and fades away. There have been many people 
many a person give themselves to the pursuit of materialism and at the end of the day lose it all and be left with nothing, not even a good name because they sold in their good name to make the dollar and they ruined their integrity for the sake of riches. Don't let that be true of you. See, it's an application of wisdom. What's the most important things in life? It's the things that God tells us belongs to us. But if you are consumed by those things because you've determined, you've made a judgment, you have already made a discernment that I must pursue this, this is what's important, then you must bring that into subjection to the Word of God and see what God says about it. And see if He's in favor of it. And if He's not, will you give it up? Will you repent of it? And will you seek to be wise and follow his path. Look at James 3.18. And the seed of whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me back up and read verse 17 because it's part of the context there. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness. Now see, that's that pure undefiled religion, righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now look at Matthew 5, 9. Blessed, you already know it, Matthew 5, 9 is blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's been a lot of wars fought over money. In fact, some people would tell us most wars fought over money. There's a lot of marital arguments over money. Do you know that's the number one? That's the number one reason married couples fight is over money. Over money. The peace of God doesn't produce quarreling. The peace of God doesn't produce quarreling over money. I'm not going to go on and and give you any more of those. I, I think that may be a study for you, but James is full of those. There there are there are there are numerous direct references, comments made out of the Sermon on the Mount, out of the Gospels, right in the book of James. In fact, he cites the book of Proverbs multiple times and he cites the book of Job multiple times. And now I think you can understand why James is called the New Testament book of wisdom. Third reason to study the book. The The third point I want to make to encourage you to the study of this book is that James teaches us that the goal, what the goal, what the goal of true religion and undefiled religion is. And the goal of undefiled religion is Christian maturity. Completeness. We can use the word to be made perfect. That's what old King James used to say. 
You know, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, that the testing of your place of faith would produce completion or perfection, maturity. James wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, that the Christian life and true religion is a life of growing in integrity and character. That's why I read Psalm 15. Because Psalm 15 is a picture of maturity. It's a picture of someone who who has a, a control upon their tongue. It's a, it's, it's a picture of one who has control over their desire for gain. What? They lend their money at no interest. Now that's not to everyone. Because in biblical Old Testament Mosaic law, you were only, that is, you, were, you could only uh, loan money to the destitute and you were to charge him no interest. Why? Because you would make his burden even harder. By adding interest to the loan. But that doesn't mean you didn't add interest to someone else's loan who wasn't destitute. You are not to increase his burden or her burden. Don't take advantage of them. Don't seek to gain from their poverty. Brothers and sisters, the book of James helps us to understand what it means to grow up in Christ. What it means to mature as a a Christian man and a Christian woman. Let me give you an example here. When you read about Moses and you you read about Joshua and you read about uh, Jeremiah or Joseph and you read... Um, about some of these great men of Scripture, even the Apostle Paul, oftentimes we, we just relish being like them. Oh, if I could be like Moses. Oh, if I could just be like Jeremiah. Oh, if I could have the faith of Paul and all of these things. But here's, here, and in one sense, okay, that's reasonable. But see, here's what we fail to do. See, we fail to look at the life of Moses and look at all the things that made Moses, Moses. We failed to look at all the things that made Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. We failed to, to see behind the curtain. How did Paul become Paul? Look at what he had to go through to become Paul. Look what they had to go through to be the, these champions of faith. You know, I mean, listen, isn't that true of sports? You look at these top-tier athletes, and, and they just didn't walk out there and do that. But we love the glory, don't we? We love the trophies. We love the accolades. We love the, you know, we, we, we love the, 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 the promotion of that skill and talent. But we don't think about what went into that. The, the tears, the injuries, the, the pain. It's like building a house. You know, you, you walk into this beautiful home and all you're struck with is its glory, its grandeur. All you're struck with is how perfectly and neatly the parts work together. 
how symmetrical everything is, how clean the lines are, how level everything looks. But guess what? Nobody ever thinks about what it took to get it there. The, 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 the anguish, the anxiety, the, the tearing out, redoing it. All we see what is the grandeur. James wants us to understand what's behind the grandeur. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its way. That you may be made complete and whole, lacking nothing. Maturity. So what does God want you to do? What, it's not about what God wants you to do. Okay, all right, listen to me. Do you have to do something? Yes, we are required to do something. But you have to go beyond the doing if you're going to understand James. James goes to what you must be. What you must be. James didn't say, hey, just do this. No, he said, be this. Be patient. Be disciplined. Control your tongue. Control your emotions. Don't become sinfully angry. Control your desire to favoritism and prejudice. When the rich man comes into your congregation, why do you give him the front row and ask the poor man to sit in the back? And you could say, well, I'm thinking about the poor man. Think about all the ways we could justify doing something like that. And you know what James calls it? James says that's evil. He says it's evil. He said, well, I, I disagree with James. You're a fool. Because James is helping you practice wisdom to discern between this and that. And if you do this, if you invite the rich man to the front and you let the poor man sit in the back, it's evil. You see, that's what pure and undefiled religion is. Agree with God. Agree with the Word of God. Bring yourselves into subjection to the teaching of Scripture so that you might, what? That we might be matured that we might be sanded on, filed on, that the Lord would work on us, that the Spirit would, would, you know, we would wrestle with our flesh, so to speak, with the Spirit of God's Word, and we would bring ourselves in subjection to it and agree with it. And agree with it. I'll show you the passage I'm talking about in James uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 4. Verse 3 and 4, he says, You pay attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my footstool. Have you not made distinctions, remember this and that, among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? See, James says, You've just made a judgment God doesn't make. God doesn't show partiality and favoritism. God doesn't look at the rich man differently than He looks at the poor man. Because what did He want to teach us in chapter 1? Because the rich man ought to see himself like the flower of the field who rises up, right? Who grows up and blossoms and what? He's only here for a moment. His life is only here for a moment. 
That's not all James has to say about it because he talks about the arrogance later on in the book. So what is, what is James, what's this goal of this pure and undefiled religion? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you this. The goal of undefiled and pure religion in the sight of our God is our integrity and Christian growth. Growing up in Christ. Becoming more like Christ. In things, our decisions, our discernments, this is good. This is not good. I need to stay away from this. I need to do this more. I need to do this less. That's wisdom. Growing up and being willing to exercise discipline. Governing your emotions and your affections and all of those things. That what? How many of us are guilty of making emotional decisions? And James says, take a step back. Take a deep breath. Apply the Word of God. And make a, make a biblical discernment. Practice wisdom. The last thing, the last encouragement to study the book I want to give you is the topics that James handles. I mean, James addresses so many areas of life in general. Remember, James is, James is not the theoretical theologian. James isn't sitting in an ivory tower pontificating, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. I mean, James is taking his faith and his religion and, and he's applying it to everyday life. It's where the rubber meets the road, if you will. It's, it's where we live. It's, it's every aspect of our lives. He deals with trials, as we've already talked about. He deals with patience. He, he helps us understand what patience is. He mentions Job. He wants us to understand endurance. What does it mean to be to exercise endurance? He speaks of doubt, wisdom, prayer, desire. How do we know if our desires are good desires or bad desires? If we should give them up, if we should be patient with them, how do we know? We're going to talk about that even in our church meeting, aren't we? We're going to pray. And what are we going to do? We're going to seek God's face. And we have to bring our desires in the, in, under the governance of God's Word, don't we? The things we know. To govern over the things we don't know. And be patient. Faith. Sickness. Slander. James says a lot about the tongue. Planning. Now, this is always one that gets a lot of people. The Bible says that man plans his ways, but God directs his paths. And I've mentioned this multiple times. How many of you are right here in your life exactly where you thought you would be when you were 18 years old? Hmm? Hmm? The older people are smiling big time. You know why? Because we know how foolish we've been. These plans of grandeur, visions. Man plans his way, but God directs his steps. So what's the difference? And James deals with this when, when the guy says, oh, next year we're going to go here and we're going to buy this and we're going to do that. And he says, the text says, for gain. For gain. How we are so accustomed to materialism that everything we do is for gain. 
not thinking about what we already have in Christ, not thinking about God's sovereignty, God's power. Planning. God's will. If you have any thoughts about God's will, wanting to grow in that area, James is going to help you with that. Favoritism. Prejudice. James addresses favoritism, prejudice in the, in the life of... And, and these are things that, listen, that James writes this epistle. He doesn't write to any particular church group. He writes to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, these Hebrew Christians that have been spread out through the Roman Empire. This is a general epistle. That means James is dealing with general sins that he sees plaguing the church. And he sees the church struggling in these areas of knowing what God's will is, knowing what true prayer is, knowing what real and godly desires, knowing what's, what's prejudice and what's the wrong kind of favoritism. The rich and the poor. He addresses those things. See, these aren't, anything, these aren't any new issues, are they? Is there anything new under the sun? Anger. Malice. Envy. Jealousy. James deals with it. James deals with it. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this morning. Be thankful of where God has you and what you're listening to. Not because it comes from me. Hey, you can go online. There's a lot of sermons on the book of James. I can't recommend them all. I hadn't listened to them all. But there's a lot of sermons on the book of James. But it's an opportunity for us to really consider the kingdom, ourselves in light of that kingdom, and the gospel and growth, and to ask ourselves, am I growing? If not, why not? What do I need to repent of? How do I need to repent of it? And how do I need to make the amends to change? Amen? Amen. That's a great place to be. It's a great place. Hey, you know what's a great place to be? In the light, in a room where the light's on. (laughs) So you can see. Not where it's dark. Where you fall all over yourself. Let's pray.